Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to episode 121 of the Three Point Podcast. Our trio normally includes the young buck, Jared Fattel of Grand Valley State University and Fox 17 TV in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but he's out making the big bucks, racking up that landscaping money, and he's off this week. We'll certainly miss him. Our middleman is Matt Burns of ESPN and the SEC Network in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm the senior elder statesman, Ted Fattel of Sportsnet, Michigan, and WJSZ Radio. Our partners include Advanced Elevator, the Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, Rivals Tap House and Grill, Sheridan Auction Service, Promac Engineering, and along with our great online syndication teammates, Sports Radio Detroit. Never miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all the other big podcast hosting sites. Shoot us your comments and questions at 3 Point Pod, and we're recording this podcast on June 1st, 2020. My initial question is, what in the hell is going on in this country? We're trying to figure out this pandemic. Unemployment as, is at an all-time high level. Rogue cops are killing American citizens, and riots and looting have taken over major cities across the country. When we really, really need strong leadership out of the White House, where's it been? I know I'm getting political a little bit here, but I'm worked up. We have a forum and it is our responsibility to discuss issues from our three different generations. Tonight it's two generations, but we're going to have a special guest that will have some great thoughts. We're going to be joined tonight by our good friend Reggie Walker, and uh, we'll talk some sports too, hopefully, before we wrap up this podcast. It all starts rolling right after this short break. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your large or small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of three-point podcast located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. 85, 90, 95, 100. Looking for items to buy or sell? Look no further than SheridanAuctionService.com. We will solve your problem. Bring Sheridan Realty and auction your items and we will market them all over the country and get them sold. If you are looking to buy items, we can help with that too. Call today, 989-720-SELL. It's fast, easy, and we get results. SheridanAuctionService.com. Buy or sell, we'll get it done for you. Call 989-720-SELL. You'll do better with Sheridan. All right, Matt, we're operating without the young guy. It would be a, a good show to have the three-generation look at things, but obviously Jared's got to make a living, got to pay for that college education and whatever his future holds. But, uh, you know, he's under the thumb of Eddie Louch, and you know how that goes. He's working hard. Well, especially doing landscaping, and we were talking off air a little bit, you know, because of the, the stay-at-home and some of the stuff that was going on a couple months ago, they're probably playing a little bit of catch up. And I mean, I, I did landscaping for a summer or two, you know, during college, worked at a golf course and just, I've, I've held some jobs like that. And I just know how those bosses are when, when they're getting people asking to come do certain jobs, it's really hard for them to turn those down. So if they, if they have to put in some long hours and work some weekends, I'm sure, I'm sure they're going to have to do it. Of course, talking about our friends at Crooked Tree Nursery, doing a great job out there. They, they did a lot of great work at my house, so I'm teasing Eddie a little bit. But uh, you're right, Matt. I mean, it's it's hard work. You got to be young, really, to be out there hauling uh, mulch and you know the stonework and everything. You got to do concrete. But uh, Jared's young; he'll come away stronger with this, and uh, I'm sure he'll be glad to be back in the studio, though. Hopefully next week. Yeah, I, I think he'll be looking forward to getting back. He he probably you know he talked a little bit about like the the schedule difference or getting used to the schedule being away at college he's probably missing that a little bit right now <laughs> i would think so pretty structured and easy compared to what he's doing now well let's <laughs> get let's get into it a little bit here right from the get-go i mean you know we are looking at a whole different time in this world i mean starting with the coronavirus you know the state of michigan today just uh, announced i don't know if you caught it governor whitmer um, restaurants and bars are going to be allowed to open up next week. And that's some good news on, I think it's phase four or five of the plan. And they still have to practice social distancing. Tables have to be you know, set apart. Uh, crowds will be limited. But it's one more step to at least getting back to some normalcy. 
Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of people need right now. I know talking to some family and friends over the Memorial Day weekend who got to go up north or go to the beach or, you know, do a couple of little more, like, normal things, it was like like a breath of fresh air, kind of like what you said. It was just like, it's cool thinking about working from home. Oh, I don't have to go to work for a while, but obviously there's a lot of people struggling right now through this time. Just getting to go back to work even or go up north or go out on the boat or, you know, just go sit at the beach, just doing some of this normal stuff. Maybe soon next week going to a restaurant and sitting in that restaurant and having a drink or having some food. I think a lot of people need that right now because it's been really strange. And maybe, you know, there's still some question marks, you know, how far should we go? Should we still be social distancing, the whole mask issue? But hopefully nothing spikes again and, you know, we can ease back into things and come fall or the end of the summer we're getting a little more back to normal, but I guess, you know, it's yet to be seen. You know, you, you brought up a good point there, and, you know, I can't wait to go to Rivals and sit down for a nice meal. I've been getting takeout from there, but it'll be nice to get back in there with our great sponsors. But uh, you, you mentioned the word ease into things, and I think that's really, that is the key. I mean, you know, we still got to be smart out there, and whether it's wearing masks in, in Areas where, you know, there's people closer than what uh, the social distancing rules are. But I think if we just ease into it, still take our time, get the economy kind of going back in the right direction, we'll pull out of it. But if we don't ease into it, like you said, I mean, we could be looking at this going all over again. And that's the last thing we need. Well, yeah, it just seems like, you know, looking back at things now, we're, what, almost three months into this whole thing. And you just wonder if from the start, if we just took it a little more seriously, or really a lot more seriously from the start, if maybe we'd be so much farther ahead of this that by now we'd almost have it knocked out. I know, like New Zealand, I know the country size and, you know, all that stuff is different, population size and everything. I understand that. But New Zealand basically said they're, they're done with it. They've gone multiple days, even I think almost like a week now, with no new cases, no cases in hospitals. They're basically saying, we've got it, we're done. Because from the start, they really took it seriously with the social distancing, wearing masks and stuff like that. So you just wonder if we would have done that. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you just wonder if we would have done that if things would have been different. But I remember saying from the start, hopefully, I mean, maybe not like right from the start, but when we were a few weeks in and, you know, people were starting to say like, man, I'm really missing my family, my friends, going to the bar to have a drink, going to the beach or whatever. Hopefully some people can take a little bit of good out, out of this and really like have some perspective and say like, man, we shouldn't take things for granted, like being able to go to a concert, being able to go to the big house and catch a Michigan game, being able to, you know, just do certain stuff like that. Maybe you can, you know, look at things in, in that light, see a little good out of it. And, I mean, even with all this junk going on right now, take a little good from this and remember what it was like to be stuck at home for three months. Yeah, and I, that's a perfect, perfect uh, way to put it, you know, taking it for granted. We have taken a lot of things for granted, and one of them is, you know, sports. I mean, you make your career in the world of sports and i think espn's done a nice job filling programming but it's got to be tough you know uh with no real live sports going on i mean a little bit here and there but the major sports you know on hiatus they're still trying to figure it out major league baseball the owners and the players can't seem to come to an agreement on uh compensation which for crying out loud i can't believe it either way you know i mean come on guys we gotta we gotta get back if if they're gonna say you can play baseball let's not get stalled in contract negotiations for crying out loud i i think there it's just another bad look for major league baseball and i'm not taking one side or the other but you know it looks to me like the nhl they've got it figured out they're going right to the playoffs and it also looks to me like the latest i'm hearing is the nba is uh is going to have uh some sort of closure to the se- the season, whether it's in Orlando or whatever they're going to do. I mean, it looks like they at least are moving forward to the plan, and you don't seem to be getting this dispute between ownership and players in either league. Yeah, I mean, like to your point, this kind of thing, it almost makes Major League Bo- Baseball look even worse because right. other leagues are kind of figuring some things out. NASCAR, I mean, NASCAR is basically having their season, you know, with no fans. Yep. Golf is figuring some stuff out. You know, like you said, NBA, NHL looks like, NFL is going to go forward, college sports, or at least college football is talking about being back. So all these other leagues are figuring some stuff out. Yeah, it's not perfect. I mean, hopefully people are realizing that. It's not going to be perfect. It's going to be weird for a little while. If you watch NASCAR, watching a race with no fans is a little different. Uh, seeing the, the golf, you know, it's a little different how, how they've structured things. But 
at least we're getting to see it. And you just got to think, like, man, baseball, what are you doing? I understand there's a lot of money involved, but it's like, can you imagine if you could have got this thing figured out and they were back playing baseball, you know, by now or even, like, the end of June, the 4th of July, the season was going, uh, everyone would be watching. They, the whole spotlight would be on the first, like, major sport back to action. And if they really can't figure it out over some dollars and cents, and I know – it's easy for us to say that when, when you're a pro player and they're saying you got to take a 70% pay cut. Right. And it's a lot easier, easier for us to say, like, oh, come on, go out there and play. But it, it's going to be a bad look if they end up just not having a season. Yeah, that's why I really didn't want to point fingers at either side. But, I mean, management and the union and baseball, they've got to figure it out because you're, you're 100% right. Baseball is the one sport I think they could have probably got back in action, maybe without fans, but they could have at least put a product on the field. I mean, we've seen it in Korea. I think Japan's back in action, and you know, it's just it's just really sad. Especially me, we're we're both baseball fans, but I mean, that was my that was my all time love as a young kid, and I still love watching baseball. Maybe not like I did when I was a little eager, but still, it's a great sport. And I mean, if you know, and they're they're going to ruin themselves again. I mean, the steroid era saved it for a while. You know the the whole Bonds, McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and we'll hear more about that in the upcoming 30 for 30. But uh, they're just not figuring it out, and they better figure it out soon because summer's going to be gone before you know it. Yep, summer's going to be gone. Other sports are going to be playing, and baseball's going to be the one that's left in the dust. So Right. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see what they do. Well, you know, we'll talk with Reggie Walker a little bit about sports too, but uh, people moving out, people moving in. Why? because of the color of their skin run 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 but you sure can't hide you know matt that's from one of my favorite songs motown days ball of confusion by the temptations and it boggles the mind the way that this country still behaves you know and again it's not everybody out there but there's a whole lot of things haven't changed you you can go all the way back to the civil war frankly but I go back to the 60s, you know, when when African-Americans finally got a right to vote, you know, and civil rights. And then Martin Luther King, you know, he leads peaceful marches trying to get the message out there. And then he's assassinated. And then we have riots. And I mean, we just the hate that has gone on in this country. It just it it doesn't ever seem to end. Yeah. And I mean, I think you have I mean, we all have a a good perspective or a good uh, look at in through our prism you know, what we think is going on right now, but you have a very unique, for our podcast, uh, look at this stuff because you lived back then. And that's, that is one thing, like I thought I would ask you, and we probably asked you this before, like, can you say that things have changed a whole lot? <laughs> no, I, they really haven't, you know? I'm, I mean, it's funny, my wife even brought it up to me. She goes back even a couple years before 1970. You look at the year 1968, and I think I brought it up before. It's really the pivotal year in my entire life. I was 12 years old. You got things going on like, uh, you know, the 1968 Olympics in uh, Mexico City. And, you know, you got uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith. Peaceful protest, the black gloved hand in the air, right? But things escalated a little bit from that. Same year you had Robert Kennedy assassinated. You had uh, Martin Luther King Jr. assassinated. We had riots all over the place happening. And, you know, we survived that. Things moved on a little bit. But it seems like every year, every five years, there's some big event of hatred. And I, I think that is the biggest thing as a society that we got to get past. I mean, it's so simple, Matt. I mean, you were raised as a Christian, right? I, I'm a Catholic Christian. I got to tell you this, this, this latest George Floyd murder, it hit me hard because this COVID thing's been going on. You know, we're just not in our normal world. And then all of a sudden you see this I went to Mass for the first time Saturday night since uh, my mother's funeral. And I actually, you know, I'm not going to deny it. I, I go there, and a lot of times I'll go through the motions. You know, I'm not what I would call a great Catholic, but the message was there to me. I, I said prayers this week, you know, for our country, for our society. I have never seen anything like this. I, I, I hope there's some way that 
maybe even we're helping a little bit just communicating this here on our little podcast, but I think the more that this country talks about these things, but the more we communicate and listen, the better we're going to be. Yeah, and I think that's a huge part is having conversations. You know, there's a lot of people who, you know, these conversations are awkward. When you talk about race, when you talk about politics, when you talk about religion, Mm -hmm. you know, some people within your own circle, you're fine talking about it. But if you want to try and have a conversation and actually learn and grow, you got to talk to some people who maybe have different views, look different than you, come from a different background. And some people aren't comfortable doing doing that. And if you're not comfortable doing that, how do you ever expect to grow? How do you ever expect to open your eyes um, to different people? And I think that's part of the problem. And, you know, we, the three of us, Jared's not here tonight, but the three of us, we're, this isn't any bashing or anything like that. We love where we grew up. I truly am proud mm-hmm. to be from Karana, safe place to grow up. You know, loved it. Nothing, no bashing at all. But there's no ignoring that it's not the most diverse place. Uh, in the world or in the country. And, um, you know, that's fine. You know, you can't bash a town for not being that diverse, but you also can't ignore it. And I remember going away to college and just a couple hours away where Jared went to Grand Valley State over there on the west side of Michigan. And, you know, just two hours away and having so many eye-opening experiences as an 18-year-old kid going over there, talking to some kids in classes or at the rec center and stuff like that, talking to them where they came from. They had different religious views. They had just a different background growing up. They just had a rougher childhood or, you know, all this stuff that I just, I just hadn't ever, just being honest, had never thought about before. And I remember as an 18 year old, like having eye opening experiences saying to myself, how could I ever pass judgment on these people when I have no idea what they've been through? I never had to worry about walking, you know, walking from the high school uptown to Corona and worrying about who was going to run into me, worrying about cops. I mean, I got pulled over a couple times by some local cops, you know, around Corona, and we would, like, talk about football. (laughs) We would talk about, like, the game and stuff like that. So, you know, I never had to worry about, man, is this cop behind me going to pull me out of my car and throw me on the ground? So, like, these kind of things I think people need to try and think about. It's easy to just look at the violence, um, look at some of the looting, some of the protesting, and some of that kind of stuff and completely forget the message of that this stuff has been going on for hundreds of years. Um, And I think people really need to try and have that perspective of, like, you don't know what these people have been through. You don't know how deep this this hurt is. And, you know, maybe it's easy to say that, but I think that's just something I always think about. I had that experience where I was like, holy crap, there's people different than me, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. You know, uh here in uh, just down the road in Flint, Michigan, I, I'm sure you saw the story. Your parents are from Flint, right? Yep. Yeah. My uh, my wife is a Flintstone, but uh, a, a good national story that came out of all this looting and rioting going on in the major cities. The sheriff of of uh, Genesee County uh, was over in Flint, and there was a gathering. You know, it could have been one of these deals where again it could have led to violence, and the sheriff joined in with the protesters and he said hey let's take a walk and it was a peaceful little walk protest i mean it's leadership with a capital l you got to give kudos to that sheriff over there it was just an amazing story to see yep it was awesome to see and i think we tweeted it out that it was it was nice to see flint get some positive headlines for once (laughs) yeah it's just been all negative headlines for flint but right it was awesome to see because that's the leadership you, you need leadership. And, you know, sometimes people say, like, you know, they, they're living their own lives. They can make their own decisions. But people in the, these positions of power, you know, maybe sometimes they forget that people do look up to them. And when they're making these statements, when he's, you know, standing there in front of the whole community saying that stuff and telling his, his fellow officers, let's march with these people, we're with them, that is leadership. And people, you know, they rally around it. And, you know, it seems like there's just a lot of lack of leadership going on right now. We don't need to get, <laughs> I guess we kind of are. We, a little we bit. Stay away, we try to stay away from the politics a little bit. But the lack of leadership, I think, is something that it's kind of allowing for a lot of this to happen, right? Like it's, uh, the message, like I said earlier, the message of the protest is getting a little misconstrued because it seems like people are coming and trying to take advantage of these situations and start inciting riots. We're going to start smashing windows and starting fires and doing stuff like that. And it just seems like the whole situation 
is like a whole lack of leadership. People have nothing to follow. So like, it's just getting out of control. And, and it's a shame because I almost like, don't like getting on Twitter the last few days, yeah. or, you know, Facebook at Facebook is whatever, but because every time you get on, it's like more negative news. Oh yeah. It's more negative news and it's negative comments. And, you know, and again, I don't want to get on my soapbox, but man, it's, it's so simple to live our lives by the golden rule, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. How, how much more to the point can it be than that? Right. I mean, it's so simple, but we just can't seem to figure out how to make that work. That's, I mean, you teach your two year olds. I mean, you teach yeah. all the way down to one, two, three year old kids, that simple golden rule. And it's like, you're trying to teach your kids that why don't you follow that golden rule? <laughs> and it just, it, it seems like it should be simple, but obviously a lot of other stuff comes into play and, you know, you hear people talk about white privilege, and I, I think it's one of those things, like like I was kind of saying earlier, will we, like, truly ever understand what some of these people of color have been through growing up, you know, with, with racism and stuff like that? I don't know if we, we ever truly will understand. You can try and sympathize with it, but, you know, when people, you know, white people usually get, or a lot of people do get a little, like, defensive when they hear the word white privilege. <laughs> you know, and they say, like, I, I had to work for everything. You know, I, I had a rough upbringing. I had to work for everything I have, which may be true. A lot of people work hard. Me and you, the three of us on this podcast are hard workers. We know that. Right. But you can't ignore the fact that there is white privilege. And kind of like what I was saying, never had to worry about cops ripping me out of my car. Never had to worry about a lot of this other stuff. You know, we grew up in a solid town where, you know, it was it was safe. We never had to worry about a lot of stuff because because sometimes of that white privilege, and we've just had different opportunities uh, that, some people of color will will never have and it's really a shame that it hasn't i mean to hear you say like you truly feel like it hasn't changed in you know the 60 years that you've been around it's really a shame it's disheartening isn't it yeah yeah i mean it's as bad now as i've seen it in a long time and there really is no reason for it i mean it's just a matter of i don't know the prejudice the hate you know it again i don't want to drive away people with a religious comment but you know when you think about the preachings of jesus right he's preaching love kindness and then if you believe in satan what's he treat teaching hate meanness i mean it goes on and on and it's somehow if you do believe in that satan's getting a little bit of a hold here and we got to pull it back somehow because we got to learn to to live with each other and you know and treat people with kindness. It's that simple. I, I'm going to get off my box right now. I, I'm worked up, Matt. I can't help it. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's hard not to be worked up because we've all been cooped up for the last two or three months. So that hasn't helped. No ball. It does not help. <laughs> cooped up. Some people have lost their jobs. You know, you haven't been able to travel, haven't been able to see family and friends and stuff as much. So it's kind of like a whole snowball effect. But you know, like to, I was just thinking, you know, we've seen people and we're not trying to bash mid-Michigan where we grew up or, you know, anything like that. But it's hard not to think about the stark difference. When I hear people say, like, there's no white privilege, what are you talking about? The stark difference between those protests we saw in Lansing, you know, a week or two, three weeks ago, where I think it was probably 100%, if not 99% white people there charging the Capitol building, holding up the streets there, a lot of them with assault rifles, guns, being very aggressive, angry. I mean, a, a pretty ugly protest. Cops just sitting there, letting them, letting them do their thing. You know, very few arrests, not a whole lot of, like, violence or anything like that as far as, like, you know, no looting, no rioting and stuff like that. Because I feel like that that is almost a look at, like, the white privilege. They feel like they can go do, or we, you know, feel like you can go to that protest and you don't have to worry about it turning ugly. I mean, just flip the picture and imagine if that whole protest, exactly how it was done, was done by all people of color. Oh, we really do. We really think that it would have went down exactly. The we same. don't even have to imagine. We know what would have went down. I mean, it's exactly. There's no it's question. Kind of the same thing. Like a lot of these images you're seeing on the news or on Twitter or whatever. It, it's really a shame because, like I said, the a lot of the protest is being spun now because of all this—the looting and the rioting, the fires and everything. And I, I don't think anyone would admit or say that that stuff is actually going to help anything. But obviously, like, people are just fed up. And, you know, who knows why some of these things are starting. But, you know, you're seeing these videos and the pictures and stuff like that, and it's really strange. It almost seems like a a little shady because there's a lot of people who, I mean, even a lot of the arrests and governors, mayors and stuff are saying a lot of the arrests in these cities 
are from people outside of the city, people coming into the city to start these riots, to start the looting, to almost kind of like get things going, inciting these riots. And it's it's a similar question to what I just said. Like, say in Lansing that that protest was going on as, as it was, and you turn around into all those stores, it was people of color smashing the windows and starting the riots and stuff like that. How would that picture be painted? Yeah, absolutely no, right. Just, when you see these people, I, I know it, people are going to protest because they want to stand up for something, but when you're there clearly trying to incite a riot, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 not, it's not what our country is all about, but we got to figure it out, and I don't know what the answer is. I'll tell you, this is one... Uh, podcast jared probably happy he wasn't a part of because we're gonna have reggie walker on next we're gonna get into a little sports but we'll also uh get into some social issues as well and we'll be with reggie walker coming up next advanced elevator company features top expert field technicians for installation troubleshooting and repair of elevators an area business leader and longtime huge supporter of the corona public schools and a proud partner of three point podcast and speaking of corona the coronaconnection.com they know it's great to be gold keep up to date on cavalier nation at coronaconnection.com Okay, guys, well, let's get into uh, a little conversation with our guest, one of our favorite guests. We've had him on a bunch of times, Reggie Walker. You can follow him on Twitter. Head over there. He's a great follow on Twitter, at rwalk13. You won't be disappointed. Uh, had some great conversations with Reggie over there. But usually we, we bring him on to talk about some March Madness, some college football, uh, some NFL, some NBA, just all, all that good stuff. But you know, it seems like, I don't know how you guys feel, but I was thinking the other day about March Madness or, you know, missing the tournament. That seems like a lifetime ago, college basketball, and thinking about when that was going on. So I don't know what you think, Reggie. It's been a crazy 2020. I mean, are you ready to get back to a little normalcy and maybe see some college football? What do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I think we all are ready to, to kind of get back to what we're used to, what we know. Um, think about it. All these things are kind of benchmarks for everybody, right? Um, you look at something, well, let's use March Madness as the first example. That's a benchmark to us that the summer is coming. The cold weather is starting to go away. We're going to crown a national champion in basketball, and college basketball. We're going to get a little spring ball, and then we're turning our attention to the NBA playoffs for the summer. Everything is sort of a, an, an, an ignition, an, an initiator for the next thing. And so when you look at what's happened basically since, uh, I believe Rudy Gobert tested positive in the NBA March 11th, right? basically everything shut down after that. Uh, it's amazing how that has evolved over the last few months. And here's one thing that I would throw out to you guys, just to kind of not, I know I'm the guest here, but to throw this question out, you know, there's always the conversation about, you know, how sports is sort of a, an additional thing in life, right? But if you think about it, was I the only one that was surprised that when the NBA shut down, all of a sudden we start getting stay-at-home orders, shutdowns of this? Nothing was really, quote-unquote, shut down until the NBA said, shut it down. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it just all steamrolled from that moment on. I mean, I, I broadcast high school basketball games, Reggie, and you mentioned March 11th. Well, guess what? Our last game that we did was March 11th. We had a district championship scheduled for March 13th. Originally, they were going to play it with no uh, fans in the stands. That was on the 12th, and later on on the 12th, they said, you know what? We're canceling them, and then that's where we're at. Yeah, it, it's amazing um, how that yeah, one instance – became the trickle-down. Yep. Yeah, I saw someone say that uh, the last champion, that team team sport champion that was crowned was the Super Bowl. And similar to what I said about March Madness, it was like, the Super Bowl seems like, I don't even, I can't even remember. I couldn't even, I had to think about who won the Super Bowl just because <laughs> of everything we've been through. Um, but, you know, it seems like golf has kind of eased back. They've had the, the, the match, too, was actually really cool, got a lot of good reviews. NASCAR has eased some stuff back. You know, they're actually having their season going for the most part. But, you know, baseball's trying to figure some stuff out. NBA's talking about coming back. College football. What are you kind of hearing, you know, like just either on Twitter or in your, your circles and everything like that? Like, are, does it seem like college football, the NFL, is going to happen in the fall? I, I think a lot of people feel confident that we're going to see NFL football. Um, I'm fairly confident that we'll see NFL football. And I think there's so many factors that allow that to be more of a realistic proposition 
than college football. And the main one is those are adults that sign contracts that get paid to show up and play. And they're going to want to do what it is that they need to do to maintain their livelihood, to maintain their households, to take care of their families. And as we both, all three of us know, I should say, most football players in particular, even when all the concussion information was coming out, they weren't upset about concussions in general. They were upset that that the information wasn't being delivered to them. But on the flip side, many of them would have told you, let me get a waiver, I'll play anyway, make sure my check shows up. (laughs) Because the mindset of many football players, especially in the professional ranks, is the 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 advent the concept of I won't be stopped I'm a I'm a consistent player I, I won't stop I'm a you know the warrior mentality if you will hate to use that term but that's where they feel like they have to be and so I think that's why we're probably likely to see football and the National Football League I'm not so sure about college football I really don't know what to think and I'm not sure now again we've got over 90 days I believe I'm pretty sure that most college football programs, if they can't have students on campus, they're not going to have football because I don't know if anybody's ready to take that PR hit. It's one thing to take the financial hit and cut a sport here and do some different things. I don't know if everybody's ready to take that PR hit. So I think the important thing to watch is how diligent everyone is throughout the summer as players can come back for voluntary workouts to make sure they keep those case numbers down. Because if COVID-19 case numbers jump, particularly within these football teams, it's going to force and cause a bunch of shutdowns in college football. Yeah, you know, Matt and I did talk about that a little bit in our opening segment about, uh, you know, the state of Michigan has just announced that they're allowing uh, restaurants and bars to open up in limited capacity and, you know, still uh, with the social distancing and, and the wait staff wearing masks. But we talked about the fact that if, if, if us as a nation, you know, have due diligence and just play it safe – our chances of getting back to some kind of normalcy is a lot better than just jumping right into it. And, and the same goes, you know, on college campuses. I mean, high schools are trying to figure out what they're going to do. You know, if we just keep easing forward and try to stay safe, we might have a better outcome. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. I, I mean, I personally have said and will continue to say, um, and, and, and we all know this having been on college campuses in our lives, if you can't put 40 people, right, a general floor mm-hmm. in a dorm, mm-hmm. if you can't put 40 people on a floor in a dorm, how are you going to put 125, 130 at the college level football players in the same locker room? I just I don't see how that those two mathematical equations, that like that's the epitome of a differentiating equation, right, not to sound nerdy, <laughs> to where they don't equal each other. They don't balance out at all. And so I'm curious to see how they would put those two things together to make those work. Because if you don't have them in the dorms, how are you going to put them in the locker room? If you have them in the dorm, then you can probably put them in the locker room. Maybe, maybe not, but at least you're closer to it. If you can have 40 on the floor, it's a little bit easier to justify 125 in a locker room. If you can't put 40 on a floor, you're going to be hard-pressed to convince me that it's smart to put 120 in a locker room. So what's your gut feel, Reggie? I mean, we're in agreement. We think the NFL's probably coming back. Do you think we're going to see college football? you think it's going to start right at the get-go? Are we going to see a shortened season, or are going to be canceled completely? I think we're going to see some football. I think the in- college football, I think the interesting thing is what happens when there's a positive case. Because while I've seen a whole lot of discussion about trying to find a way to play, what I haven't seen on paper – or, or fully vetted, if you will, is what is the protocol if, and I'm going to make this up, if a kid at Michigan, now again, we've heard uh, Michigan's, I believe it was the chancellor say, there will be no football at Michigan if there are no students. We'll see if that plays itself out. But uh, with that being said, I would be hard-pressed to see what they would do if there is a positive test. Say they bring Michigan back, and, and week two they're playing and the Friday before, one of the players for the opposing team tests positive. What is the solution? Do you shut down that game and that other team for two weeks? Right. Do you just take that player out of the equation and let that team play against Michigan, knowing that teammates may have been exposed? I think that's where we're going to see 
a little bit of unsettled answers. And when that happens, I think that's where you get the someone's going to panic and say, we got to shut this thing down again. Now, I will say this, because I've heard some folks maligning the NCAA recently, and I've said, and you guys have heard me say this, you, everybody's wanted to take the legs out from under Mark Emmert and the NCAA. And now that this comes up, some people are saying, where's the leadership in college football? Well, you already cut those legs out from under Mark Emmert over the last five to seven years. So he's already come out and said, it's not going to be my decision because they've already taken that away from him. Hmm. Interesting point. Yeah, speaking, of, speaking of the NCAA, like this is kind of, you know, along the same lines as if you don't let regular, quote-unquote, regular students back on campus, but you let these student-athletes back on campus, mm-hmm. you're setting a hard precedent. You know, you basically may as well start paying these kids that play sports if you're letting them on campus, but you're not letting other kids. Kind of along the same lines, if you're going to allow schools to make the decision, you know, maybe SEC schools are in a good spot to play, so there's an SEC season, but some of the other smaller schools aren't able to play, so you're only going to have Power 5 teams, and then at that point you may as well separate the Power 5 from the NCAA because those are the ones making the money anyway. Some of these programs might have to fold if they don't have football. So it could be uh, if, if the season doesn't go off as normal, whatever normal is anymore, uh, it, could, it could have some big repercussions on college football because there's already some programs talking about having to fold because if they don't get to play – go to Michigan and play that game where they get that huge payout, their whole athletic program might pull. No, that's right. I mean, that's right. I mean, you look at, you know, I'll use it for example. I do, I do, uh, I do radio for Gardner-Webb. They're an FCS program in the Big South Conference. Last year they played at East Carolina and at Charlotte. Both games, uh, they received checks for those games, which probably uh, funded their entire athletic budget for the entire academic year. This year they're slated to go down and play at Georgia Tech. If that game does not happen, what does that athletic department do? What, is the, yeah. what does it look like for Gardner-Webb football if they can't go down to Georgia Tech, play that game, and get that check? Those are some of the issues that I don't think people are thinking about. And listen, while we've, we've heard for years and years and years from some people, who cares? The Power Five is the only thing that matters. I'm going to tell you right now, if all of a sudden you're down to 60 teams in college football, here's the reality. Instead of just Vanderbilt and Arkansas being relegated to mediocrity and no one caring. Half of the SEC is relegated to mediocrity and no one caring. Half of the Big Ten, mm-hmm. half of the Pac-12. All of a sudden, you're going to get to the point to where only about 30 teams matter, if that. Now, that's great in the NFL because there are only 30 teams. But in college football, the difference between a have and a have-not is a long way. And if all of a sudden they break off, and they're only focused on the playoff and those types of things, all of a sudden, even those bigger programs, they start to miss out on some paychecks as well. Wow. Well put, and you're right. You're 100% right. I mean, we've been, we've been seeing the trickle down not only in smaller football, but colleges are eliminating programs like track and field and baseball, and you're seeing it over and over. You know, football is the big moneymaker for sure, but uh, we're going to be seeing a whole new world in college sport. There's no getting around it. Yeah, I, I think you're going to see more regionalized scheduling. Um, a prime example, I'll, I'll use Gardner-Webb as an example again. Uh, last year, uh, their non-conference consisted of East Carolina, Charlotte. Those are, you know, Charlotte's an hour drive. East Carolina, I think it's about five hours. And then Wofford, which is about 50 minutes down the highway on the backside. And then Western Carolina, um, which is a couple hours west in North Carolina. They kept all of their road games, if you will, non-conference, um, and road games, they kept them all within a four- or five-hour radius. If you look at what Liberty just did, now they're an independent at the FBS level, but they just basically laid out a schedule over the next couple of years. They're playing North Carolina and South Carolina and University of Virginia. Whoa. They may all be by games. Some of them, I think one of them is a home-and-home, home, but the reality is those are all bus trips. Nothing is more than six hours away, which the furthest of that group uh, if memory serves, is South Carolina, which is about five and a half hours. So clearly what they're doing is regionalizing their schedule so that they can maximize their finances. UConn jumped back into the Big East to minimize how much money they were spending. Think about this. UConn was playing college football games at SMU down in Dallas as a <laughs> conference game. I know. That makes absolutely zero sense. And I think you're yeah. going to see 
some schools and some programs and some conferences kind of figure out how they can work that out um, and make that a little easier. And at least if they can in conference play, I think you're going to see a lot more regionalized non-conference games. Well, you know, Reggie Walker, our guest, and I think our listeners, even if we have first-time listeners, have figured out why you're one of our favorites. You not only know your sports, and we certainly will be uh, checking in with you down the road to talk more sports, but if you don't mind, can we get into some of the social issues going on right now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot there. Uh, so much there. And, and let me say this before we kind of really dive into it. Uh, I did I did read uh, just before we got on here, it uh, looks like Floyd Mayweather is looking to uh, pay for George Floyd's funeral. And I think that's a, um, that's a, a wonderful gesture by Mayweather. Mayweather's been maligned throughout his entire career for some of the different things that he has done, particularly uh, what landed him with a no-contest plea uh, from putting his hands on the mother of his children. Uh, but this particular thing, if he's really doing this with uh, George Floyd's funeral, I think that's a wonderful gesture. Absolutely right. Well, let's set the stage a little bit here since you brought up George Floyd, and that's where I wanted to go with it. I mean, Matt and I, you know, we grew up here in this small community in Michigan, you know, about as lily white as you can be, right? And I know you, you're an African-American, and but we're all Americans, and we see something like George Floyd, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, some of your thoughts to start it off here, Reggie. I think, I think the first thing to, to note um, as this has occurred is you, you look at George Floyd, you go backwards, you look at Breonna Taylor in Louisville, the EMT that was gunned down. Um, you, you, you continue to go backwards through over the years. You know, Ahmed Arbery uh, down in Georgia as well. And then you can continue to go back, whether it's Tamir Rice, uh, Trayvon Martin. Uh, there's so many names. The thing that I don't think a lot of people understand is when George Floyd happens, the anger is not just because of George Floyd. It's because of all the names that came before him, but also, and I think this is the aspect that so many people miss, the additional piece of that is every time something like this happens, it becomes a trigger for someone like myself that had situations and instances in their lives dealing with law enforcement or dealing with different people, you start to think of those occasions to where you knew you didn't, you, you felt like you didn't do anything wrong, but the way you were being treated was borderline, and you, it starts to trigger. That could have been the moment that me, right, Reggie Walker, could have become what George Floyd's life was. The moment where you think to yourself, man, when I was 14 years old and I got stopped for walking down the street, I could have become Trayvon Martin that day. That's where the frustration and the anger and the reason why so many people are pissed off, it's because all of these things, not only are they unjust, but they also trigger pain and, and frustrating memories that you've already dealt with. And I'm not going to say people try to dismiss them from their lives, but you try to learn from them and move on and, ho and, and just be a good person like you always had tried to be. But when things that create that much pain consistently get triggered, it can help to break a person's soul down to the point to where frustration and lashing out is the only thing they know how to do. Yeah, and I mean, it's just sad. It's just totally sad as a society. And, you know, I'm the old guy here. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm 63 years old, Reggie, and I, I, I was around with Martin Luther King, the civil rights marches, you know, uh, I've seen it. I've seen it. And you would think things would have gotten better. I can't really say. I sit here as a 63-year-old white guy. I can't say if things have gotten better or not. I did want to ask you a question, though, that I've heard on a couple of other radio shows, and I've heard it before. As a young guy, when your parents were talking to you, you mentioned being 14 years old, you know, when we hear somebody say, hey, did your parents have the facts of life talk with you? Well, we think it's about sex. But did you have a facts of life chat about what happens if you get pulled over by the police? Absolutely. I mean, you, you have that conversation. You have the how do you carry yourself in a professional environment conversation because all of those things are part of, right, the facts of life conversation 
for a black child in America, especially a black male in America. I, my dad is 5'7". I'm almost 5'11". In some circles, I'm a bigger or big black guy, right, over 200 pounds. So we have to be aware of, and, and I heard Marcus Spears talking about this on ESPN. One of the conversations his mother had with him was not only was he black, but he was a big guy. You know, Marcus Spears, people got to remember, he was 250, 260 pounds in high school. Marcus Spears is 6'3", 6'4". So all of a sudden, that becomes part of the conversation as well. Not just how you look in terms of your race, but also your size. And then you add to that, there are stereotypes about haircuts and how that is perceived. And so you have to think about all of these factors. You have to be taught how to be able to articulate yourself as all of these factors are a part of your life every day. And, and yes, the reality is the facts of life conversation for black folks in America, black parents and their black children in America is you have to do more, you have to be more, and you have to most dangerously accept more from other folks because if not, your fate could be sealed one way or the other, whether it's with physical violence, whether it's with uh, systemic processes, or whether it's just blatant, outright discriminatory acts, maybe in the workplace or in an academic environment. Yeah, and I mean, you're you're hitting all the nails on the head, and kind of like what Ted and I talked about earlier before we had you on. And I mean, Ted brought it up that we did grow up in, you know, a small mid-Michigan town, not a whole lot of diversity. And I remember going away to school and having conversations with friends and in class or, you know, at the rec center and stuff like that. And really having like eye opening experiences when I started talking to people from different backgrounds, from different cities, from out of state, you know, different religious views, different, you know, just everything. And I think that's stuff that people need to experience. I think, you know, if people don't ever have conversations with other people or don't ever have those kind of experiences, it's an old cliche. Like you've never walked a mile in that person's shoe. Like you can never truly understand maybe what everyone has been through but if you think about that you know and i really do i really truly that's something i remember in college it hit me you know i I had some friends that i was like you know what i didn't walk in their shoes i didn't have the same life growing up as they did so i really need to keep in mind you know that i'm not going to have the same experiences as them and i think that's kind of what you're alluding to right that you need to try and keep things into perspective absolutely and and the other thing is right like one of the things that You know, one of the things that we see all the time, right, you go travel, go see different places, and you learn. Well, that's one of the the bridges that athletics can give you. You may not be able to go to certain places, but you can talk to people from different places and learn. And I think, uh, obviously, that's one of the positives that comes with sports, right, as we kind of talk about or we started our conversation about sports. We've moved into some of the social things going on but that's a factor as well and that's how so many people can start to bridge the gaps is by basically finding a way and and i'm not saying like just run out there and go find a bunch of people that don't look like you and be like i need to learn so i don't look like i don't care that's not what i'm suggesting what i'm suggesting is you can I, i always say this don't be afraid of a conversation with someone else you just might learn something and that's okay And I think the biggest thing and the biggest frustration as you look at what's happening in in America right now as it relates to uh, George Floyd and and Breonna Taylor and Ahmed Arbery and and, and all the names is there are people that are frustrated because they feel like no one is hearing the civil solution-based thinking conversations that they're trying to have. And so many of them... Not everybody who's out looting and rioting are right people that are looking for change. Some of these people are looking to ignite negativity so that the movement for change doesn't look the way it should look. Let's keep that very clear. But for many people, they are to the point to where they feel like when they talk quietly, no one is hearing them. And we've all noticed, we've all probably seen that, whether it's in our workplace, in our home, whatever the case may be. Oftentimes, people's messages are not heard until they get loud. 
Why does that have to be the case? Yeah, well, that's good. part of the problem as well. No question about it. Now, Reggie, I don't know what your time schedule is like here. We could go on and on and on, but uh, we've taken plenty of your time. But I was going to throw in there, Colin Kaepernick. I think it's come full circle. You know, what did he do? He just he just took a knee mm-hmm. as a peaceful protest, but it's st- still it, it was spun the other way. Well, you're right, and and this is what I've I've and I've had this conversation with a lot of people. And for a lot of folks, when it came to Colin Kaepernick, they felt like they didn't want to they, – that his message was – they perceived his message for what they wanted to perceive it as. Mm-hmm. Those that didn't want to recognize, if you will, what he was doing that for, they would just say to you, well, he's disrespecting the military and disrespecting the flag. Well, I submit to you this. The man said it had nothing to do with the flag. It had nothing to do with the military. Some people had it in their mind and came out of their mouth to me and said, well, that's a lie. I don't believe him. Well, guess what I did? I, later in a conversation with the same person, I said, you know what? I think you're racist. And said person said, I'm not racist. How could you ever say that? And I say, well, I don't have to believe you just because you don't have to believe Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> well put. And the reason for that is this. If one man's word can't be taken by you, why should another man take your word? And, and so no. to me, when you look back at Colin Kaepernick, when you look back at all of the things that have gone on since really before him, through him, into now, folks have always said, many folks, not everybody, have made the statement and made the comment, that's not what this is about. People just want to tear things up. Okay, well, for those people that say, I'm not complicit because I'm quiet, I just don't know it. No, we can just call you complicit because you've decided that's how you feel. So we can decide what we want to believe. And so that's why I always say, have a conversation with someone, listen to what they're saying, and process the information. The the reality is people, particularly right now in the black community, people just want to be understood in terms of the plight and the battle that is the constant every day. And when that's consistently ignored, then it's easy for someone to just put you in that category as someone that doesn't care. And so when you when someone starts to say, well, I do care, well, hold on a second, because you're telling me that my cause isn't legitimate, so I can tell you that your care isn't legitimate. <laughs> and I think that's the big danger that we're dealing with right now is, I've always said this, agreement is one thing, but damn, just take the time to understand somebody. Yeah, perfect. That's the yep. first step. Uh, yep. That's the first step, and obviously there's a lot of steps. And, you know, and that's the shame with it, like with the Colin Kaepernick thing. People lost track of what the original message was that he was trying to send because they didn't agree with whatever he was doing. And that's, I feel like that's what's starting to happen, or it has already happened with the protests now because they've turned a little bit violent in some cities. People are letting that distract from the actual issue. And, you know, when you let that happen, then there's going to be no progress. I did have one more question for you, uh, Reggie, and I've seen some people, you know, use the analogy that, and, and I understand what they're trying to say, but, you know, they use the analogy that not all cops are bad, it's just a few bad apples. You know, I, I understand what they're trying to say, and I do think that's mostly true. I think most cops are good, they have good intentions, they joined the police department for, for good reason because they wanted to serve their communities. It is just the bad ones that are maybe painting the, with a broad brush that, you know, police is, are bad. But the bad apples analogy, you know, I, I kind of have a little problem with that. And I saw, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this Chris Rock stand up, and I've seen people share oh, yeah. it the last few days. Uh, you know, he, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Um, he basically, he goes on to say, you know, the, the, about the whole bad apple thing, that there are certain professions that you don't want bad apples. <laughs> Pilots are one. Like, think about if, right. he says, like, think about if American Airlines just said, like, you know, most of our pilots are great, best in the world, but we do have a few of those bad apples. So hope, hope you don't get those bad apples when you get on an airplane. Or, you know, cer- certain other, you know, professions, you don't want bad apples. I would think right. that policemen and women, you wouldn't want bad apples. Now, my question for you is, we all grew up around sports. You, you played collegiately. You've been in locker rooms your whole life. We've been in locker rooms our whole life. We know, like, what the, the football fraternity is. You know, there's certain mm-hmm. things you don't you don't talk about. Maybe what you did in the locker room, or if you're on the road, you know, you know the whole like what happened in Vegas stays in Vegas. You know that kind of thing. Right. I, I feel like there's a little bit of that maybe with 
I've never worked in law enforcement, but I feel like there's a little bit of that with law enforcement, that, you know, even if these bad cops, mm-hmm. you know, people know who these bad cops are, you're going to look bad if you come out and speak against them. So is it kind of the thing that, like, even if the bad apples are there and the good apples aren't saying anything about them, they're just as bad as the bad apples, right? Well, here, yes, in a lot of ways, yes, but I'll say it this way. Here, the difference with the locker room, and again, I've never been a police officer, so I don't want to generalize. In a locker room, what do we generally say, right, as, as, as it relates to if something comes out, some report that some player is doing X, Y, Z, the first thing everybody says is keep that in the locker room. Don't talk about it to the media. That doesn't mean that, hey, because the starting middle linebacker is doing something dumb, we're ignoring it because we're not talking about it to the media. Trust me, the defensive tackle that is the captain of that defense, he may walk up to that dude's locker and grab him by the chest and say, listen, what you're not going to do is cost me a chance to win a Super Bowl. What you're not going to do is cost me a chance to win a national championship. So it's one thing to right, to publicly address some things, but it's another thing to police it in the locker room on your own. And so, listen, it, it, a lot of times we hear these things right about fights in training camp, but a lot of that, is self-policing by players. That's the locker room policing itself. And I'm not saying running around starting fights with your teammate is the smart thing to do or the right thing to do. Everybody leads differently. But I can tell you right now, whether it's a position coach, a coordinator, a head coach, a teammate, a guy on the same side of the football or not, someone is not going to be afraid to correct you. And the thing about that is if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, i.e. an officer maybe roughs up someone, not to the point to where it ends up like George Floyd, but to where there's a little bit of a question. That particular officer's partner can. I'm not saying he should or will or whatever. That's between that's that person. But they can very well, when they get back in that patrol car, say, hey, man, listen, this is not what we're going to do. I'm not down with that. And if you do it again, you're going to have to deal with me. That can happen. That can be done. And so – the bad apple concept, you're absolutely right. Good apples don't want to be around bad apples. But the reality is just because you don't check the bad apple in public doesn't mean you can't or haven't been, right, in some cases, haven't been checking the bad apple to get them to clean themselves up. Right on. I mean, that says it all. And it's kind of ironic you use the term in the locker room, policing. <laughs> kind of fits in today's uh, today's environment isn't it <laughs> unbelievable well listen reggie it is unbelievable some some incredible thoughts we appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule uh all we can say is uh as as an american as countrymen we're praying man we're praying for this country we're in a bad spot right now and let's hope that things somehow get better right yeah, that's the goal. Um, you know, one of the things I always say is, you know, at least just try to be better today than you were yesterday. And I think if we all take that approach to the next person, you know, towards the next person, towards the person across from you, towards your neighbor, towards the people in your neighborhood, then those steps will be going in the right direction. And obviously there are some systemic things um, that need to happen as well. And uh, those things are going to take a little bit more time. But I think as, for lack of a better term, regular citizens, the first thing we can do is understand the person next to us and be a better person to the person next to us, first and foremost. Perfect way for us to end it. We look forward to our next conversation with you down the road. Let's hope things are a little lighter, but uh, good perspective, Reggie. We really appreciate the time here and joining us on the podcast. Absolutely, guys. Anytime. Everybody likes a great deal, right? Well, go online at SheridanAuctionService.com for info on upcoming auctions. The auction house is packed with all kinds of great items. Stay up to date by checking their website at SheridanAuctionService.com and sign up for their email notifications or give Troy Crow a call at 989-720-SELL for other details. And step up, help one of our great partners. That's Rivals Tap House and Grill. We just got the word today from the governor that restaurants and bars will be able to open up at least slowly, but uh, starting on Monday, June 8th, they're going to be open again for food and beer and drinks and fun. That's Rivals Tap House and Grill, our great partners right there in Corona.
Okay, that'll do it for now. Remember, subscribe, rate us on all the big podcast hosting sites, including Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Your comments and questions are always welcome at Three Point Pod. Support our Three Point Podcast partners. Tell them you listen in. They are Advanced Elevator, Sheridan Realty and Auction Company, Rivals Tap House and Grill, The Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, and Promec Engineering. Also, be sure to check out our network friends at Sports Radio Detroit. And a very special thanks to Reggie Walker at our walk 13 and you can find him in a lot of other spots great for him to take out the time and a great conversation as always for jared fattel hopefully back next week and matt burns i'm ted fattel thanking you again for supporting three point podcast again a big shout out to our medical and essential frontliners you all are heroes and just remember please be kind stay safe and bye just for now